Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. You know it's a good day when you're blessed to have someone so amazing as Chuck Heaton, who is currently serving as the Chief Human Resources Officer at Cayman Cargo, as my guest today. Chuck, welcome. Oh, thank you, Spence. I appreciate the invitation, and uh, I look forward to the conversation. Wonderful. Just so glad we get to, to have this on-air conversation so that uh, listeners of the podcast can benefit from your experience and wisdom. I uh, really have enjoyed just our short interactions leading up to this point. So again, just, just grateful you're taking the time. I uh, would love to just kind of start by uh, hearing a bit about you as far as your your background, a little bit about your story, uh, what, what has brought you to the point of the role you're serving in now, which I, if I remember right, it's a fairly new role, less than six months or so. And I know you're, you hit the ground running and are just doing great things there. So anyway, just going back a little further, I'd love to hear how all this came to be. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm in a profession that I studied uh, in college. Uh, my, my degree is in human resources management uh, from, from Auburn University. So, I mean, that's a whole part of the other story of who I am and, and my background, but we may talk about that a little later. But uh, so my whole career has been in HR 30 plus years, um, started in the textile manufacturing uh, arena, was a recruiter, a trainer, did acquisitions, did uh, plant HR, which is always a good learning experience. And then the mid 90s, uh, Penzoil brought me out to Houston and started my career in the oil and gas industry, which I've pretty much spent the last 25 years in uh, everything from retail to manufacturing to services. Uh, Cayman Cargo is is a services company as well. But, um, you know, one of the cool things about being in the energy industry, it's a global business. And so I've had the opportunity to travel pretty widely, deal with a wide range of issues, learn cultures, adapt to cultures, I've done a lot of merger and acquisition work, which is pretty common in the energy industry. So I've been exposed to a lot. I've done a pretty broad base of HR. It's not just been specialized in one arena or the other, and which which I think is I've really benefited from. And especially the last, say, 20 years, I've, I've been leading HR teams either on a regional or a global level. And my last two jobs I've had, I've been leading the function. So reporting to the CEO you know, leading the function for the business, which brings a lot, a lot of responsibility to it. But it's 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 also a lot of fun. It can be a lot of fun about figuring out how, you know, people are part of the equation. How do they benefit the business? How the benefit business benefits them, uh, you know, from rewards to comp to, to working conditions to employee engagement, training and development, succession planning, uh, performance management. So, all areas I've, I've had to deal with in, in the past, uh, which, but, I, but if you can tell, I'm very passionate. I love the function. I love what I do. I love helping people. So, and to me, that's part of my core philosophy. Oh, that's so awesome. I, I absolutely hear the the energy and interest and passion in your voice. So that's uh, just great to, to feel the authenticity of that. And maybe that that speaks a bit to the answer to this next question, which is I'm just as I'm listening to you, um, thinking back to kind of the the moment in some children's lives when they 
they see the fireman climbing the building, the, being the hero, and they're like, I want to be a fireman someday. And you know, they might see a clip of a army recruiting video. I want to be a soldier someday, whatever it is, right? So did you see a commercial on TV and there was a chief human resources officer saving the day? And you're like, I want to be that someday. You know, that, that, that that's a great question because, I mean, I immediately think when you said firefighter, I, I watched, if, if, you, if you're old enough to remember the emergency TV series, I wanted to be a paramedic first. I wanted to be a paramedic like Squad 51 and and then Adam 12. I wanted to be a policeman. And, um, you know, and then as you got closer to school, uh, you know, college, you, uh, you know, uh, science was really not my thing. So I'm thinking, OK, more of a business orientation. You know, my my father was a was in business, um, but he was more on the safety side. He was health and safety and environmental um, so that, so kind of some relation to what my dad did. He did a little personnel work early in his career, but more on the safety side later on. So kind of taking a, a cue maybe from that. And the funny story that my mother hates for me to tell, but my, my mom told me, I, I said, hey, I'm interested in HR when I was going into college. And she goes, you're never going to make any money in HR. You need to be an accountant. <laughs> so I studied, you know, you listen to your mother. I'm a, I'm a Southern boy. And, and, uh, you know, you listen to your mom, what your mom says. And so I studied accounting and, and I had a professor, uh, Dr. Waters at Auburn. And he, I took up a level of accounting from him and he goes, Chuck, I'm not sure accounting is really your passion. So, um, actually that was the catalyst, part of the catalyst. I took a year off of school I traveled in a group uh, called Up With People, if you're not familiar with Up With People, but that's a whole other story. Did a career day at EDS in Dallas with their HR folks, was sold. That's what I wanted to do. Came back to Auburn, changed my major, made better grades, was working a couple jobs, did an internship, and then got hired as a recruiter at Shaw Industries in Georgia as my first job. And, you know, I'm a recruiter at heart. I loved, I love you know, attracting people. It's like being a salesman in a way you're selling the company to people and recruiting has always been a core at the core of what I do, right? And that ability to engage, ask questions, listen, figure out how to match talent in places. So that's always served me well everywhere in my career. And especially when I've had to manage it as a part of the HR function, because I know what a recruiter does. I know about branding and the importance of, of of presenting the company, doing career fairs, um, talent pipeline. So that's always been a core thing that served me well. And if you talk to a lot of CHROs or people that have been VPs, at one point or another in their career, a lot of people started in recruiting or did recruiting. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's a common, you know, pathway, but it's certainly one that helps, you know, in that process. So, um, but that's, that's the short version of the long story. Sure. No, it's awesome. I, I love the details. I especially love that you, you had the, the courage or boldness, whatever we, however we might characterize it to recognize you were on a track that was not going to be fulfilling that again, you were respectful to your, your dear mother and, and trying to follow her advice, but also listening to other voices that were important. And you, you took note of that and took, took time away to kind of refresh and reset. I would love to hear more about your help with people experience. Like how, how did that play a role in uh, just giving you the the eyes to see, so to speak, like the clarity uh, to then come back and, and reset on such a better track? It was a year that changed my life. So if, if you'd like to, so up with people, 
International Cultural Exchange Organization, uh, has been around since the mid-60s. If you Google what act has performed the most halftimes at the Super Bowl, it's up with people. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. So it's it's it hasn't done a halftime at the Super Bowl since 86. January of 86 was the last time they did a halftime. But I think they've done four or five halftimes in the history of the Super Bowl. So, um it, it was a year that changed my life. I, a group came to, to our university. We had a couple of people stay in my fraternity house that I hosted. They get, they, we went to the, the show. You can interview. I, I, I interviewed, I have a musical background, by the way, I've been a singer. I played the piano and guitar throughout my early days, um, did musical theater. So it, it seemed like an interesting thing to do. And I was kind of at a point where I'm not sure what I wanted to do you know, for, for my schooling. And so I had the courage to ask my parents if I could do this and take a year off of school. And, and, and you're talking about the mid eighties. So, you know, gap year was not a big thing to do at the time, like it is now. And, but it was truly a gap year. And I spent a year traveling mainly in a bus around the U S United States and Europe, staying with host families, doing community service, and a two-hour musical show, and it's like being—it's like being, a, you know, part of a—I don't want to say a rock band, but it's part of it, about being a band. Huh. And um, it's—you know—you go to all these different small communities. A lot of times, we did some huge shows. You know, we did a big tour for Sun Oil at the time. It was our hundredth anniversary. So, ironically, I spent three and a half months in Texas, which I never dreamed I would be living here now. You know, 35 years later, but, um, but it was a year that changed my life. I met my wife. She was part of the group. Um, and so, you know, so I met my wife, I knew what my career was going to be and it totally put me on a different path and it, and it really opened my eyes, you know, for, for a guy who was from Alabama and I love being from Alabama, but for a guy that was from Alabama to go to Europe, to, travel with people from 15 different countries, it really changed my whole perspective on life and, and, and the world and culture, politics. Um, so it, it was a real big, strong influencer in, in my life. And I came back smarter, more mature. Um, but I think it also helped me prepare myself to work on the global stage, to work in that arena, because I'd done those things. I'd been to places I'd been with. I mean, when you end up with a host family who doesn't speak English for two days and, you know, you got to try to communicate with them. That's that's an interesting challenge. But you you figure it out. You know, you figure you figure out what to do. And so it was I I can't say enough about it. It really it changed my life. And, you know, and I'm still married to that girl, by the way, 33 (laughs) years later. So, um yeah. So, and we have friends that live all over the world. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it was a great experience. So. Wow. It's terrific. I, I really love what you shared. It, it's amazing how, how often it is that uh, I meet somebody who is a very dynamic leader and has a certain humility, but also confidence and, and, and clarity in why they do what they do. And I notice, I've noticed uh, that often it, it's true that they've had some type of exposure to the international stage, so to speak, as you put it, like they've been in other countries, they've interacted with other cultures, they've 
gone on business exchanges or whatever, or, you know, educational or business exchanges, but just that ability to see beyond what's right in front of you, I think is such an important skill, uh, maybe more now than ever, uh, just with the diversity in the world and the, the need for oneness. And anyway, I'm just inspired in that regard by what you've shared. I agree, man. I think if it helps you realize that we really share a lot of the same problems in life. I mean, it's whether you're a operations manager in Cartagena, Colombia, or an operations manager in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, typically they have a family, they have kids, they're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. They you know, want their kids to be better and they're trying to do a job, you know, try to business. Now, dynamics are a little different, you know, depending on the where they live, but there's a lot of similarities, you know. So if you, if you can kind of crack that code a little bit and understand there are cultural differences. I mean, definitely if you're working in Europe or Africa or, you know, South America, Brazil in particular, I mean, you, you've got a lot of different types of regulations that you have to deal with or approaches, but there's a lot of similarities too. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I, I love how you put that. So you said something else in your intro that I, I took note of. Uh, you, you just talked about the, the level of responsibility you are now in a, a good size organization, dealing with that responsibility is a challenge, I'm sure. I, I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom for those that may be climbing to higher levels of leadership and maybe even about to make a jump from like a vice president level to a, a C level. Uh, how do you not get caught in the weeds? I mean, you, you've, you've gotten where you've gotten by hard work and, and being in the weeds at, at some point in your career, likely, right? Like you're doing the, the hard work that happens closer to the ground, so to speak. And then as you lead, you're you're facilitating and, and empowering more and more. And then you're really focused at the sea level more on the strategic elements and and managing the, the big moving pieces, that 30,000 foot view, so to speak. Um, you can correct anything I said there that doesn't match your circumstances necessarily, but but how do you make sure you you do your role, I guess, serving your role at that highest level and, and don't let yourself notch back down a couple echelons and get caught up in the weeds. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. I, you know, I, I think you have to, you, and it comes from getting some of this gray hair on my head, but I mean, you, you learn some hard lessons sometimes and it, it, you have to find that balance between and understand your audience too. You manage up, you manage down, you manage sideways. And, you know, it's it, some of it is empowering your team to to encourage them to be. There was a, there was a good quote recently. I, I actually posted it on LinkedIn. It talked about leaders are there to to basically lift barriers and and help people realize they can do more than what they think they can do. And it's some, a lot of it is un, seeing and unlocking that potential and encouraging them to take that next step. Uh, part of it is knowing your own blind spots, you know, um, and, and trying to build your team or build the players in your team to, to offset some of those blind spots. I mean, I will readily admit I am not the biggest detail person in the world. I mean, that's not my thing, but I know I need people on my team that are going to take care of, am, am I more detailed person now than I was 10 years ago? Absolutely. But I still know that's a kind of a prime weakness of mine. And I got to make sure either I take certain actions to offset that or have people on my team. They're going to watch that part of, of the business and just ask the right questions. Cause a lot of times it's that ability to ask the right questions. And I go back to that recruiting, you know, time of mine is you figure out the right questions to ask 
then it can lead you down certain pathways, right? So, but it's, it's staying connected with your audience. It's understanding the mission, you know, understanding the business. I think a lot of times HR folks get so involved in HR and just being, you know, HR for HR sake, you've got to be tied to the business, especially at the highest level. You got to understand how the business works. You got to understand the people part of how that fits into the equation, what the cost factors are. And, you know, a lot of times you are the seat at the table that balances management support and employee advocacy. So you got to figure out how to sit on both seats there to ensure that the voice is heard, but also understand how to effectively get things going. And I think, you know, if you ask me a question, but I've been asked, like, what's your superpower? And, you know, my, my superpower, I think, has been, and people have told me this, is that ability to see around corners, hmm. you know, that ability to anticipate, okay, if we do this, this is probably going to happen. Or, hey, I've seen this so many times. If you do this, you know, this is probably going to happen. So that having that ability to be connected enough with what's going on in the organization to be able to advise senior management or leadership on what to do uh, is key. And so if you're going to be an HR leader, you've got to be connected to the business. You've got to understand what's impacting the business, what drives it, who are key customers, who are the key talent within the organization that pulls those customers in. So it's that business connection is very important to me if you want to be a successful HR professional. Uh, Very, very amazing advice and, and experiences. I love what you shared there. Well, and, and I was especially intrigued with just your comments around that kind of the, the line between advocating for people, like advocating for your employees, and then also managing, you know, well, the relationship you have uh, on the management side, I guess more of the P&L side, right? I mean, the, justifying the expense and cost and investment of HR. And I use all three of those words deliberately because oftentimes HR is seen as a cost center. Um, and an expense rather than as an investment. I mean, people ultimately in any business, there's no business that I'm aware of, at least, that is 100% artificial intelligence where it has a you know a computer CEO and a computer whatever. You know, like it, there's no people. There's, there's got to be people involved in order for any business to be successful. So people are the, the critical asset. And of course, they're not just an asset. They're human beings. So, I mean, how do you... A question that comes up a lot, uh, different conversations that I have are, from HR leaders specifically, is how do we justify our value to the the C-suite, to the the chief operations officer and chief executive officer, especially who sometimes slip into that space of seeing HR more as a cost center rather than than as an investment? Do you have any advice around that? Well, I mean, part of it is you got to build credibility, right? You got to build relationships, and and you know we we. Yeah, I think you and I talked in our first conversation about, you know, this, this piece of advice that I got early in my career that, that I use it a lot. And I've been very fortunate to have certain mentors in my career that, that saw something in me and, and gave me opportunity to stretch myself. We talked about earlier about lifting those barriers and, and helping me see something that maybe I didn't see in myself. And the, the got to give them credit, Al Scruggs, you know, my boss at Shaw said, you know, relationships are like bank accounts. You make deposits and you make withdrawals, but you never want to overdraw your account. So you've got to have in HR, 
being an HR leader, you have to have those relationships. You have to know people. You have to understand what motivates them, what makes them tick. So you got to know your audience. What I talked about earlier, you got to know your leadership. So what are the important things to them? And then what are the, what are the deliverables that you can provide to help them? You know, but you got to build credibility. It's you, you can't do anything without having a credibility because then when you say something, okay, that meet, it meet, has meaning, it has impact. So building that credibility, building those relationships, understanding the business, how does HR help the business succeed? That's, that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you're seen as an administrative function and a unnecessary evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. And based on the, again, I'm glad you mentioned Al's name, just, just his wisdom, um, that the concept of the bank account, there's two sides to that coin, right? There's also mm-hmm. the risk of sliding too far to where the people no longer feel like you're advocating for them because you're, yeah. you know, you're, I guess you're anyway, leaning, leaning upward more than, than uh, they think you should or whatever. So, I mean, how do you, how do you know if that's happening? How do you know if you're losing that connection, if you're taking more withdrawals than deposits kind of a thing? To me, it comes with experience, but, it, but it's also listening, right? I mean, I think it's keeping your, your nose to the ground. I mean, I, like we talked about, I've, I've been here, you know, roughly four months, right? And I've been to one, two, three, four, five, six. I've been to seven offices already. Wow. So, you know, I, part of it is don't be a headquarter sitter. I mean, don't be somebody that just sits on the, the executive floor and, you know, just goes to executive meetings all day. you got to put some boots on the ground. you got to ask questions. You need to listen, do a lot of listening and pay attention. Right. So, I mean, but be approachable too. I mean, it's, it's to some people, it's just basic one-on-one, you know, and there's this big debate now about soft skills, right? We uh, millennials are now the biggest part of the workforce and there seems to be a real need that soft skills have not always been part of their training or development. So, it's having that approachability, you know, welcoming people to ask questions, but don't invest in the conversation. Don't just give it lip service. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you have to have that kind of credibility because people, people, will, you know, I've seen leaders have, you know, they're great in front of groups, but there's no, nothing behind it. So, you know, the proof's got to be in the pudding. You got to show some humanity, you know, and, and they're, you know, big discussions over the last year about humanity, authenticity of leadership and, you know, the leaders that had good relationships and knew their people could could survive a year of working remotely. Mm-hmm. Leaders who were parking lot watchers and, you know, task list watchers, you know, struggled having not having people within their arm's reach, you know. So 2020 really tested people, the depth of people's relationships and their ability to be authentic, empathize, understand, hey, so-and-so is going through these struggles. I got two. I, I could not imagine having school-age kids and working in 2020. I just, just incredible. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, I love your words. And like, I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit uh, just because we went through that with ours and man, it, it was uh Pretty chaotic for sure. Anyway, I don't mean to digress into that, but I just, <laughs> these visuals like post-traumatic stress kicks in from those, those yes. uh, several weeks of <laughs> finishing up the school year virtually all of a sudden. Anyway, funny. So I love your comment though about uh, investing in the conversation and just your emphasis on investing in relationships. 
I think that uh, that's a perfect way to put it, invest, because you're, again, back to the deposit concept, you're expecting like you're, there's a return and it's not you're investing just so you can get a return, you know, and you're losing, using people like their pawns, but you know that it's the time's going to come when you're going to need to ask for that extra bit or of effort or, you know, whatever, however it manifests. But that's that's why you invest in it or the whole external environment's going to change as with the pandemic scenario where you're you're just not going to be in the same context anymore and people are going to need to be asked to adapt in ways that are often uncomfortable and and represent a disconnect uh, kind of the social part of work essentially went away for a while uh, in the mm-hmm. traditional sense and anyway um, so yeah I, I just I love love all those pieces you shared there's such sound advice on on kind of what to do with that so uh, I guess last of all as we look toward the the last uh, closure here of, of our conversation um, what What's the one thing we've talked about several kind of implied action items or action steps that listeners can grab hold of and go and implement right now? Uh, what's the one that stands out most to you or maybe something that uh, that helps wrap several pieces together, uh, something that people should go do to be stronger, better leaders so they can make those deposits without making too many withdrawals? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, you know, for one is you got to know your team, right? You should know who's part of your team, what they're about. You know, for me, common rules are you got to know your fan. You know, know about their family, know about their kids, know about their interests, and look for commonalities. Right? A lot of times, you can make connections with people if you can find commonalities. And w- whether it's books you like, movies you like, music you listen to, you know, uh, places you've been, travel. A lot of times, you know, people can say, "Oh, yeah, I'm from Indiana," or you know. I actually lived in Indiana as a kid. So, I mean, I, I can relate to, oh, yeah, well, you know, I spent my elementary school years going to a school that looked like the gymnasium in Hoosiers. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you find those those commonalities mm-hmm. with people, uh, you know, people from whether it's New Jersey or wherever, you know, or, yeah, yeah, I spent time in the UK. Well, yeah, I spent a ton of time in the UK. So, I mean, just try to find those commonalities. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to share philosophical similarities. It can be small things or, you know, you, your grandmother was your biggest part of your life. Well, my grandmother Heaton was a huge part of my life. So, I mean, you just look for those threads and then if you can make those common connections and then build those relationships with your teams, they'll do things for you that you, you blow your mind away. It's investing that time in your team as a leader, and and, and um, but I'll, but the other thing too is just being authentic, you know, about being human. And you know, one of the things that 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 I talk about sometimes is, you know, I'm a parent of two children with disabilities. I have two kids with autism, and it was something I didn't really share a lot about in the earlier in my career because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me or, or, you know, you know, but at the same time, it's, Oh, this guy has challenges. You know, he's got two kids that are, they're never going to go to college. They're never going to get married most likely. So, I mean, it's those kind of things of they're always going to live with us. So, I mean, those kind of, if you share those kind of things that you have these challenges that you're dealing with, but I also talk about, they've made me a better person. I'm, yeah. You know, if you know anything about autism that, you know, life revolves on a schedule. So you got to plan ahead and communicate to your kids that these things are coming 
And those same principles are so important being a leader or a manager in a business. So they have made me to me, this is this is my thinking that they've made me a better person or business person because of the challenges that they have around their disability. So but also two people, it's it's a lot more common than you think. And I've got a cousin or a relative or my sister's, you know, has a kid with or grandson. So you, you'd be surprised you can find that kind of shared commonality as well. So those, those things, those human connections that you can make with people, if you take enough time to go to that level. And again, it doesn't have to be super deep, but at least that you find a commonality that that's a thread. That's, that's something you can build on. Yeah. Well, it's put so beautifully. I really appreciate that. I just really love, again, the illustration, the specific details there. And I'm so glad you shared that as kind of a, the second part of your, uh, your invitation and the action challenge. Um, because there is so much to be said when the leader extends that olive branch or whatever first, rather than just expecting it from people and then may or may not reciprocate, it makes it awkward for the employee. Uh, so I, I love oh, that yeah. you're willing to just be you and, and share your, your bumps and bruises as well as your high points and, and experiences. Um, just because it creates that more familiar, comfortable environment. And again, especially when that needs to be done virtually, I think that's even more important when people aren't physically uh, in the same workspace. So anyway, just, I love how you, you painted that. Yeah, no, I mean, you, as a leader, you gotta, you gotta create that atmosphere, right? That approachability. And a lot of times you've got to take that leap um, to show something about you or, you know, you, you know, people love sports. So, I'm, you know, I'm a big, passionate sports fan, especially college sports. And, you know, I went to a university that 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 was pretty deep. You know, I when I went to school, uh, Bo Jackson, Charles Barkley and Frank Thomas all were in school with me. So, mm. um, you know, I, I had very unique experience and and but I'm still very passionate. It's you know, my, my dad went to school there. So it's something we share. My sister went to school there. So, you know, it's, it's a core kind of thing, but it's, it's a lot of people have their own teams that they support. And so that just, that helps, that can help, you know, break down barriers or open doors because they share a passion around the Hawks or army Navy or, or, or whatever, so, or the yeah. military, right? You, you, you and I, you share that military background in my family, you know, as I shared with you earlier, a lot of several members of my family have been in the army. I've got a nephew who's in ROTC now that will get commissioned next year. So awesome. We have that commonality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's I think I think the point for me in listening is that there's always something. <laughs> like you mm -hmm. if you if you work at it and you invest your whole self, you're always going to find some type of intersection. And it doesn't have to be something like we went to the same school or we root for the same team. But it can, like you, you mentioned your grandmother earlier, just a little micro example. Like if, if you share enough of yourself and and therefore open the door for others to share, you're ultimately going to make a human connection. Even if the connection is my willingness to share, like, <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be like, OK, here's this dot and your dot. And that's where we intersect. But if that, that willingness to, to, to put yourself out there, you know, we talk a lot about executive presence, right? I mean, there's a certain level of when you're in this job, when you're in the VP level or the chief CHRO, CFO, or the CFO, there's a certain presence you bring to the table. Now, 
you got to understand where your audience is going to be because sometimes that audience is investors or the board or whatever, and you you put on a certain uniform, right? Yeah. But just like in the military, if you're at a you know award ceremony or something, you're wearing your dress blues, but mm-hmm. but if you're in the field, you know you're wearing jeans, you're wearing khakis. You you can't be afraid to show that you can operate at that level and engage in conversations. I, I was in an office. Last week, you know, uh, we were visiting, making a day visit, and it's it's guy was wearing an Atlanta Braves hat. And I said, "Oh, you're a Braves fan?" Yeah, I'm a Braves fan. I said, "Well, I'm, I'm a lifelong Braves fan. I'm a, a miserable Braves fan." You know, I mean, so you you find that, and, and by the way, he was in the army too. So I mean, you, oh, cool. Yeah, so I mean, you just find those things, and those guys and and ladies, they appreciate that. You know, that you took five minutes. We had a five minute conversation. Mm. So. Really great. Yep. I love it. Well, and you're taking me back a bit too with the Bo Jackson comment. Cause he was like, I had a cousin who was like, just had his posters everywhere. And I never really could figure out what Bo Jackson was actually great at because he, you know, he, he was known for trying so many different sports, right? Like that's how I remember him. So anyway, not that this episode was going to become a Bo Jackson uh, <laughs> flashback. But. Just the greatest athlete that ever lived, but we can, we can talk about that later. Well, right. I mean, it, it is absolutely impressive. Not a Michael Jordan scenario. Again, Michael Jordan, you know, there's a lot oh, of yeah. that story, but I uh, didn't really make it in baseball. But yeah, Bo was, was pretty dynamic. And, and maybe that there's some metaphor there for the type of leader you want to be. Like you just talked about with the uniform change and all that. There's some connection, I think, back to that. Talk about a leader that sets example, and, and and you know I can talk all day about this, but he, you know, he is known for his philanthropy. I can't say that word, but uh, I mean he's known for there was these massive tornadoes that went through Alabama about ten years ago, and he started this Bow Bikes Bama every year. He raises money for disaster awareness and tornado sirens, and so he does that, gives back to the community every year. In Chicago, he's got a huge sports complex and he still lives in the Chicago area because he retired from the White Sox when he stopped playing baseball. But mm. he was a multi-sport. He ran track, played baseball and football at Auburn. There's a legend about him going to a diving practice and doing a one and a half off the off, off the springboard. Perfect. So wow. I mean <laughs> the, the guy was just amazing. And he actually was a friend of one of my fraternity brothers and he would come to our house and study, Hmm. you know? So, I mean, he was normal. I mean, he was a normal guy. He, I had two classes with him. I mean, he came to class, he took tests. It wasn't any, you know, eight or something that was, you know, he did all his own schoolwork and, and what he was just a good guy. Well, that's awesome. yeah. Well, shout out to Bo Jackson. And if you happen to be a Bo, we love you. Thanks for inspiring us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank That's awesome. Well, so if uh, people want to connect with you, Chuck, and, and uh, your organization as well, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I have a Twitter. I'm Tiger Chuck on Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm also with HRD Connect. I'm a HR thought leader with them. So, do some articles and podcasts for them as well. And so uh, happy to connect and, and help people where I can. So um, be happy to, to speak with you if you're interested in making a connection. Wonderful. We'll make sure to put those details in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to, 
click over and whichever platform that you've mentioned that makes the most sense. Well, I'll just end with a, with a true big thank you expression of gratitude, Chuck. This has been tremendous. I've loved what you've shared and just so great to hear your stories and experiences. And thanks for your sound advice and, and just all that you've shared today. Thank you, Spence. I appreciate the invitation and, and happy to join you anytime. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.